The Sports Crib Podcast, episode 335. How can an empowered mindset support the childbirth experience? Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports psychology and also with regards to the maternity journey. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Carla Mayer. Carla is a sports psychologist and associate professor in applied sports psychology at St. Mary's University. Also, she's an author of Empowered Birth. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Carla as a podcast special guest on the show. And in this episode, Carla will share her sports psychology career journey and explain to you how an empowered mindset with psychological tools from sports psychology can be applied with regards to the maternity journey. Have a listen and enjoy. Carl, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to the listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Very good question. It started in 2000, well probably a little bit before 2000 when I um, had to make a decision as to what I would do after the equivalent to A-levels in the Netherlands. It's a very different system. I won't bore you with that. Um, So I wanted to do something in sports. I liked human behavior, but I didn't see myself being a PE teacher at the age of 40. Weighed up my options and I came across this thing called sports psychology and I was so excited about it. I went to all the open days and found out there was no career path to becoming a sports psychologist in the Netherlands. So I had to kind of think about what to do. I decided to study psychology at the University of Amsterdam, specialized in social psychology, took the one sports psychology module available to me and um, really loved it. Um, When I took everything I could to read about sports psychology, went to Sweden for six months on an Erasmus uh, scholarship. So one of those exchange projects and I got to work with a handball and a basketball team. And oh my goodness, that completely implemented the love for you know what sports psychology is all about so under great supervision of Erin Arpich there I, I really enjoyed it I loved it uh wrote a dissertation wrote my dissertation on um the role of bench players and substitution players in sports and um decided oh what's next and explored masters I had a master's from the University of Amsterdam but I wanted to specialize and found out there was a performance psychology master's in Edinburgh and I was like, okay, well, that gives me some opportunities. If I can't work in sports, I can still work in the performance arts or with, you know, leadership and all these types of things. And I was so lucky to be with a group of people um, who were so inspirational. So some of the um, the same cohort, uh, like Danielle Adams, she went on to, you know, she's now the performance psychology lead at the EIS. Uh, Elaine Hing has got a fantastic career in Canada so we we had such a great bunch of people and I think together we really uh, kind of hit home that passion of what sports psychology is all about so 
I guess it started when I was about 17, always wanted to be a sports psychologist. And um, yeah, I guess I just carved out my own path to get there because we didn't have anything in Holland. And I would say like in the UK, it was so privileged to now have such a well-established pathway to becoming a sports psychologist. It's not easy, but you know, we're definitely at the forefront of what's happening out there. What an awesome answer. I just got to de-pick this a little bit because I think it will help some of the listeners, particularly students who are listening of forging their own path. Like when you did that one module on sports psychology, how did that like open up the door that it is possible to then forge that path? Because like you said in your previous answer, like you didn't want to be a PE teacher. Like that was the same for me, by the way, because that was all I knew from like studying sports. I was just curious of from a mindset perspective, how did you just forge it? Did you put pressure on yourself or did you just sort of work, go with the flow but meet as many people in the direction you wanted to go from forging that path? I think for me, I mean, it wasn't a taught module. It was just like, here's a book and here's some questions and I want you to write the answers to these questions and submit that. Uh, so it was very much kind of self-taught. Um, so I just took that one book with me everywhere and started to, to really enjoy and applying that kind of knowledge. Um, it was applied sports psychology, personal growth to peak performance, actually, that book by Jean Williams. It's a fantastic book. Um, and I just spoke to the only two people at my university. I mean, University of Amsterdam has a massive psychology department. It's one of the biggest in Europe. Um, and so there was like one or two people who had a bit of an interest in sports psychology back in those, you know, back in the early 2000s. And uh, then one of them got me in touch with Erin Appich in Sweden as an opportunity to potentially do an exchange project. And the exchange project wasn't even going through the psychology department, it was going through pedagogy. <laughs> so oh, wow. we just tried to like, you know, speak to a lot of people, reach out to a lot of people um, and do, you know, you have to be very proactive. I don't think that sports psychology is a profession where you can just sit on the back foot and wait for opportunities to come to you. Um, some other, you know, pathways might have that a little bit more, but I think with sports psychology, you really have to be proactive and find your opportunities. Just reflecting on that sort of educational journey, what were your biggest like learning lessons now, which have supported you in the current work you're doing? I think what's important for the listeners, I almost dropped out after the first few months of my psychology degree. I wouldn't say I was bored, but it was so generic um, that it was sometimes really tough to find the links to sports psychology. So in Holland, you could drop out without a penalty in the first you know, couple of months without paying back your, your tuition fees. Um, and I thought, OK, well, let's just try and see at the end of the first year. And then I, I had a fantastic um, like work group lead who let me do kind of my own topic on uh, on an essay. And that's when, you know, I really start to learn a lot more about sports, it's more sports sociology, in fact. But I loved it. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I just need to find my own path, but I, I can. Um, so I think that's important for listeners is, you know, don't give up at the first hurdle um, is, a, is a key thing. Some of you, you don't initially see the value of some of the modules you might be taking or some of the, the courses you might be taking, but actually along the line, it all makes sense. 100%. And out of interest, how has curiosity supported you on the journey now? Because we will be talking about your book, which we'll talk in a bit more detail, but I'm just fascinated. I'm seeing like creativity and curiosity are two skills. I'm seeing my podcast from different industries that have helped people not just develop 
themselves in their career, but also evolve in their profession. So I was just curious of how Curiosity has supported you as a sports psychologist now. Curiosity, I think also passion for the subject area in combination with that. Uh, but really what it helps, it helps to build up that maybe knowledge. And what you need to do is you, you know, you need to start developing those hooks in your brain, right? To hook that knowledge onto. And if you don't have the curiosity, it becomes really difficult to start building those hooks because you don't know where you're going to then connect those bits of information to. So I think, as I said, you may not use that information early on, but later down the line. So that initial curiosity can come back and really benefit you later down the line, even though sometimes you even don't know why you find it's interesting, but there's something that sparks your interest. Um, and I think with that curiosity, it's just about really gaining some clarity as to why you're doing what you're doing um, and, and link that curiosity to, to types of things that you enjoy. Um, be curious around other things. It's not, you know, what I now see a lot with, with students is that they hone into sport and only read sports psychology literature, but it's so important to read outside of your topic area. I think that's where curiosity really comes into play. Don't just be in your little silo. I'm going to put you in your silo, though, sports psychology. What components did you find fascinating? So for me, what I always found fascinating, because I played a lot of tennis when I was younger, was like the mindset of tennis when they lose a game, how they bounce back and win the next two games. That was what era because I was participating in the sport I would always beat myself up internally till I applied some little breathing techniques visualization for example what components do you find fascinating with regards to sports psychology oh gosh so many <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I mean pinpoint what would it be I I yeah I think I like the um I like theory um I think it all starts with kind of understanding the why um, I'm very particularly interested in like things like stress and emotions, like what are the demands? Um, because I think you need to understand why people experience perhaps stress. So a lot of my research around challenge and threat states, it's yes, we are all in that kind of, you know, potentially demanding situation. But why does for some people tip that balance into a challenge and for others into a threat? I find that really fascinating. And also like um, that how does that impact your physiological responses? I failed my biological psychology module, by the way, dramatically the first time I did that. So it was my least favorite kind of subject. And I ended up touching on it during my PhD. So I find it really fascinating how, you know, our, you know, those stress levels obviously impact those physiological responses. Um, I'm very fascinated by like systems, you know, like how do support mechanisms, like the, the people around you influence that uh, kind of coming from a team sport background. And um, I also find, you know, like the, the things like self-efficacy, how do you develop that? Um, and in particular, what I, you know, is also a component of, of a challenge approach is controlling the controllables, I think, is something that's so fascinating and that I see coming back because I do work with athletes. So I do research, but I also work with, with athletes as an applied practitioner is that kind of understanding and that developing that awareness of what you can control and what you can't control is such a key factor and also comes back in, in, in my book. I think those are just some of the things that I really find fascinating when it comes to sports psychology, but it's such a quickly and, and fast developing field. Absolutely. And I have to name drop this name because she's part of your book, but Amy Williams said that massively in my podcast. And actually when I met her with the men's BG7s before the Commonwealth Games, 
about controlling the controllables and but it's with our action so i'll give you one example she shared which is like when she goes to a coffee shop does the coffee improve my performance yes but does having that donut does that have an influence no and it was those micro decisions of controlling the controllables and i I apply that to my day now with i'm training for a triathlon but i love that you shared that one because we use it as a phrase but when we relate relate that to our actions it changes the game of our approach. Um, wow, what a cool conversation. Yeah, and I think that's application really comes in. So that's that's where, you know, like, but you can't do the application before you actually understand the theory behind it. Um, and I think sometimes we're very keen to run before we can walk. And um, this is what I, I love is then the application of, you know, all these things that you've learned and it's mind boggling. It is. Just before we talk about the main topics, I cannot wait to discuss it. And you're in for a treat, everybody, because this is out my comfort zone with regards to the topic, but also the application side. Just when before we go to the, about your book, I'm just curious, when you studied sports psychology, when was the moment when you went, right, this is what I want to do as a career to be a sports psychologist? I just love the listeners who are listening going, what's that bit of transition to make it a career? I was just would love you just to paint the picture um from you studying graduating and then this is your lane now as a career path gosh yeah interesting one um I I think after my master's at Edinburgh it's the I've got no clue what's going on now um I think it's 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 a typical post-master's feeling um I then got approached by uh who I worked with in Sweden if I want to do a PhD, never even thought I would be capable of doing anything like that. Applied for it, didn't get it, but it kind of planted that seed. And I thought, you know what, if I want to go back to the Netherlands, having a PhD probably makes me stand out a little bit more and more career opportunities and so on. So I then applied for a PhD uh, and got a funded position at Staffordshire University uh, on the supervision of Mark Jones. Professor Mark Jones uh, does amazing work on, on kind of stress and emotions in sport. And I think... One of the key things there was that I learned to be critical um, and that what I've learned in Holland, I've worked in Holland for a sports psychologist, everyone kind of used his methods who came out fresh from, you know, like doing something in terms of sports psychology, used what he did. And I, I think what I really learned during my PhD was to be critical and start finding my own unique selling point, which is so hard. And, you know, it takes time. Uh, I think we put a lot of pressure on our students to develop their unique selling point maybe a little bit too early on, and it takes time. Um, For some, they have the light bulb moment straight away. For others, it takes some time. And for others, it just evolves and they change from one thing to the next. And I think um, no kind of finding that niche area has has been really helpful uh, to kind of really um, enjoy what, I'm doing but I love I mean I've, I've always loved sports psychology from the first moment I kind of learned about it could we just dig deep a little bit could you d- explain what you mean be more critical is it more believing in your your opinion backed up with data of what you're studying is that what you mean or like you said USP so you need to sell it point I just when you said that I'm like oh how can you teach to be more critical except showcasing it in your opinion on or off paper when sharing us on a certain topic doing a lot of reading uh i think that's the starting point we need we, we need to definitely encourage our students uh to do a lot more reading um where it's that curiosity comes in but don't just take what you read for granted 
use different resources, make sure that you understand what quality of the research is like, you know, some research that's published is maybe a little bit weaker, um, you know, things like, okay, it has an effect of performance, but it's not just about performance. What are the um, kind of mediating variables? What helps to explain it? Is it self-efficacy? Is it controllability? Is it motivation? And, you know, those types of things, kind of learning about those processes. I mean, my, my PhD, my lit review, it was tough to like make sense of all the different stress theories and then bring in the physiology. And then, you know, I struggled. It was not easy. Um, and then, you know, I, I started to do some work with, with athletes um, to get my, you know, accreditation. And I then said, oh, yeah, this, these are some great things. I learned that from, you know, a sports psychologist I, I worked with in the Netherlands. And Mark just looked at me was, and he's he didn't say it in these words, but he was like, you could reflecting on it now be like yeah but that's not the only way you do these things like just just think about whether there's other ways how you could explain what's going on here and so he planted those seeds that actually you need to really really know a lot about the different theories the different demands that athletes might face and the interpretations what does that mean and there's not just a one tool that helped to explain everything so also having different approaches yeah. as well very very long-winded <laughs> right i hope people listen it, no it is no i think it's a really important point though because the, the, what we've just shared isn't just applicable in being doing a phd i think it's how you put yourself out there in the job market as well is doing the reading in that subject seeing the different approaches and then showcasing the best version of you or showcasing the best piece of research and that's why i was curious of what you meant critical and you summed it up actually really well so wow um, final thing on skill sets, so reflecting what skills from an employment standpoint, like has supported you in this sector of sports psychology. I'm um, just, that's my final one from the employment standpoint, just for people to realize you can study, but how you apply yourself in the market is just as important. Yeah, I think, especially in the field of sports psychology, what's really important is don't get dejected by rejections. Um, there'll be a ton of rejections. Um, you have to be opportunistic. Like we have this saying in Dutch, you know, you have, you know, when you ask something, the no is already there, but you might get the yes. You know, like if you don't try, you don't get, right? Um, which is, you know, I suppose the English um, equivalent. Um, but I think if you, if you're afraid of that rejection, you might miss out on some really fantastic opportunities. Um, it's, you know, sometimes I've been a bit too opportunistic, you know, took on too many things and felt very overwhelmed or out of my depth. I think, you know, psychology as a profession, we're very good at feeling like we're imposters, um, which because the so human behavior is so complex and, when you work in a sporting context, so many things in the sporting world are about measuring, about quantifying, whereas a lot of things when we think about human behavior cannot be quantified. We're trying, but we can't always quantify some of these things. And so you then, when you're working in a, you know, a sports medical team, um, support team, it's, you know, you, you have some of the, the physiology stuff or biomechanical stuff kind of showing evidence of the work that they've done. And for you, evidencing that is a little bit different. And I think that's sometimes where that imposter 
comes from. Like, you know, we, we, we want to evidence, we can't evidence and we feel like we need to. Um, so I think that's another thing, really knowing your profession and, you know, what some of these things might look like and knowing your boundaries within that. I think you mentioned earlier is like also focusing on the niche you want to specialize in within that field as well. Um, I think just as important. It really leads to today's podcast topic because I think we'll be talking about your niche now. With regards to your book, which is called Empowered Birth, like how can an empowered mindset support child the child uh, birth experience with regards to your book? The book uh, kind of has a has some kind of major themes running throughout there. So one of the things is that sometimes thinking outside of our uh, silo can help us to realize how much we've actually got in our um, skill set in our toolbox so when we think about the maternity journey first for a lot of women it will be you know something that's quite new uh, but actually when we're thinking about a sporting context you know you probably have achieved a lot of things throughout that uh, at whatever level so when you've experienced pain or discomfort uh, you know there might have been times when you know you, you managed to hold a particular pose um let's say yoga or like strength and conditioning um and push through for at least a minute which is when you know you think a contraction is a minute um and you use different psychological strategies to do that so that's one of the things is is to kind of that strength-based approach that actually rather than starting completely from zero you probably got already something to build on um is is one of the things that i'm hoping to get across um from the book it's also a lot about kind of reflecting on what the demands are that you can expect and which different psychological strategies can benefit you along the way so rather than just having the one tool for everything it's about making sure you you practice those tools understand why you're using them and then being able to implement them. So when I kind of think about one of the reasons I wrote the book is, you know, my research is on endurance performance, challenge and threat state. It brings it together really nicely. You know, when you think about marathon, the grit, the motivation, pushing through pain and discomfort, long time it can take. Um, but also that kind of action and intention or intention action gap where you, you have all these good intentions but you don't put it into action and listening to women and their birth stories um I actually realized that a lot of them had good intentions to do some of these things like mantras or breathing but they forgot to do it because they've never given themselves that opportunity to practice where some of them actually did a lot of that in a sporting context but never put those links together so I guess that's one of the other other things that I hope to kind of, um, I suppose, achieve with the book is to draw those links together from a strength-based approach, a reflective approach, so that self-regulated learning, but also to emphasize that you need to practice and think about these different strategies. What's the purpose of that to help support you along the way from, you know, pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum? Before we talk about the different psychological tools that the listeners can apply I just want to clarify one thing you said in the book and it's so important to highlight you said a great sentence that when we think of like sports psychology we think of we're fixing something and actually sports psychology you know the tools are there to build your toolkit which you have mentioned that phrase already can we just clarify that importance before we talk about the, some of the techniques particularly chapter four which you know I'm a big fan on with regards to goal setting how important is it when people grab a copy that it, it's to help their toolkit or think of a different approach 
during the the pre and post you know birth experience yeah yeah i think what what's really important is to understand that you're not starting from zero um so you've already built up a lot of skills along the way and I take it from a sport context. So sport is a really powerful vehicle. Um, often people can relate to sport and seeing it out of that kind of medical context can can help them to realize, actually, if I take an inventory, if you like, of the types of things that I've already built along the way until I got here, what have I learned? And, you know, it might be that women in, um, you know, in business can can do take a similar approach as to, you know, what have I learned along the way? So take stock, if you like, and then start building from that. And I think that's really important because when we think about, you know, your sporting career, you're not doing that overnight. So why do you expect the same for, for you know, your maternity journey? You need to take stock, think about, okay, where are my strengths? What are maybe some of the things that I, I find a little bit difficult? And what can I do to put myself in as good of a position as possible to make myself feel you know I control what I can control let go of what I can't control and I feel empowered so I feel more calm so I have more of a hormone you know equilibrium which is really important for you know the maternity journey and so taking stock I think is really important rather than just taking a generic template of okay well if I do this if I do this and if I do this it should be fine but you need to think about what's your individual journey, what are your demands, and what can I learn from my previous experiences to really feel empowered along the way and maybe fill in some gaps and make sure I train those. For example, goal flexibility, which we're coming to. So then when I when I when I enter that journey, I feel I'm in a good position. And I can take that as a challenge rather than a threat. Yeah. And before we go through some of the techniques, which I can't wait to talk about, could you just share to listeners the name of the book and what the book's about? Just a little snippet, just to clarify, because I haven't even asked that question, which is quite important before we dig deep into it. Yes, of course. Yeah. So the, the name of the book is uh, Empowered Birth, Lessons from Sports Psychology for Your Maternity Journey. Um, and it is about how can you learn to kind of approach um, the maternity journey as a positive challenge? So how can you feel uh, that you've got that level of self-belief, perceived control and approach motivation and kind of understanding which different strategies are available to you to for your individual journey to feel that empowerment um, going into, you know, childbirth. And there's also a chapter on, you know, the support staff, like your support team around you as well as the postpartum period. Awesome. We're going to dig deep now if you're listening in because this is the exciting part. I can't wait. There's two tools from a psychology standpoint, I think are really important. One, breathing techniques, and the diff and and the other one, which I can't wait to dig deep, is with regards to goal setting. Like this chapter for everybody, really helped with my goal setting, particularly on process goals. But I felt I never looked at like the maternity journey when you implement goals. So we'll start there. But how can goal setting really support the maternity journey? Yeah, I think the the obvious one for a lot of women um, who who are giving birth, uh, typically what they'll be asked to do is to um, think about that birth plan. How do you want to give birth? Where do you want to give birth? What does that look like? And uh, typically what happens, you kind of fill in this form or you speak with your midwife or, you know, the medical staff, your birth partner, and you come up with this plan. And what you find is that's the kind of dream plan. That's the way if everything goes well, that that's what they want to go for. What you find is actually in childbirth, a lot of times things don't go quite as planned. 
Um, so I, I kind of labeled that uh, or titled a chapter birth plan overboard. And so it's really interesting that there's this kind of obsession with the birth plan, yet we know that a lot of times there's there's components of that birth plan that may not happen. Um, so actually, what in the chapter I propose people do is that, yes, a birth plan can be really helpful to kind of prepare you uh, for that journey. A lot of times, you know, people want to have that sense of control. Um, obviously, we need to understand what's in our perceived control and what's not, but that's a different story. Um, and so, raw, so, so a birth plan can help to kind of give you that comfort confidence and kind of give you some of that control but at the same time you want to have flexibility within that birth plan and some of those things that are really important within that birth plan is that it's your plan um so that you feel that sense of autonomy over the goals that are in that birth plan so it's not imposed on you because if things are imposed on you that control is is, is being removed and it causes a lot of pressure and then when you adapt you have to adapt. You don't just feel pressure because of you, but you also feel pressure because you've let other people down, um, which is, you know, when goals are set by other people, that's often what happened. Having that goal flexibility. So it can be, you know, in endurance performance, we often talk about this as this is your dream goal. Everything is going perfect on the day. Weather conditions are perfect. This is what it's going to look like. Um, but sometimes, you know, your body isn't quite up to it maybe had a really poor week of sleep so maybe you, you revert back to a happy goal and sometimes it's just you know the okay goal just getting to the finish line um will do and so allowing yourself a little bit of flexibility can ease up the pressure and when we think about what's happening hormonally in in childbirth um that's really important to keep that pressure at bay you don't want the cortisol to come out and play too much um, so one of these things that goal flexibility can do in those instances is kind of give you that calmness back, but also that feeling of guilt that people experience when they don't achieve their goals sometimes can be quite detrimental when it then comes to the postpartum period and reflection. So having some of that flexibility can also preempt not having maybe some of that, that kind of feelings of guilt when, you know, it's not a, a a do or fail goal, you know? Um, and, you know, in the book, Amy Williams talks about that quite nicely about a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. Um, I mean, couldn't have worded it much better than than how she did that in the interview. And also just to go in a bit of depth here, but she compared her one of her sporting experiences to actually giving birth. And that gave it like the visualization during the experience. Like, so she didn't, yeah, it, it was a fascinating scope when I read that. Yeah. Do you want me to read out that oh, quote? Oh, go ahead. I love Please that do. But I, I just found it in front of me. Um, so, so what she says, so she, she compared birthing to skeleton. So she said, you've got your best scenario. Now make up the second scenario like A, B and C. The perfect birth, the not quite so perfect. And what could be the worst example? So at least you've gone through them in your head. You're prepared. You visualize each of these experiences. So if plan A does not happen, okay, I can accept that and I can move straight on to plan B. And I've already accepted plan B in my head because I've already rehearsed it. This is what I did on the track. I'd enter a corner on a skeleton track, either in my perfect position or crap, I'm a bit too left. So what am I going to do now? Change my steers. Okay, I've not come out very well. So what am I going to do to change as fast as possible? And I think that really hits home that whole idea of goal flexibility and how important it is that we don't use these psychological strategies in isolation. You you often, you know, you, you study sports psychology. So 
um you might relate to that but we we rarely use just goal setting just imagery just you know self-talk it's often used in conjunction with somebody take it to the research which makes it really hard to sometimes do very experimental studies on some of these things because you don't quite sure whether people have used other strategies at the same time 100 and also keeping it simple because i want to talk about the flexibility in goals there's a quote i've got in the book about the importance of breaking it down so like you said you can have your dream goal but this is a quote you said about breaking it down like breaking down your goal in small chunks and setting the process goal or focusing on your breathing can give you a sense of perceived control and I love that I'm applying that to myself everybody on my own goals of like so, like keeping it simple and I'll just love you to share why that's important just throughout the maternity journey of like the perceived control with the app like you say the application of the breathing as well yeah 100 i think um what happens and i think this is what goals sometimes do quite poorly is um when we think about types of goals we we often set like these outcome type goals i want to give birth in a particular way i want to finish third i want to do this in a better way than someone else um so those comparison goals or i want to give birth in so many hours you know like those outcome or kind of performance related goals can kind of help to inform a training plan or a journey. But actually in the moment, what they do is they steer away your focus from the task. So you actually lose that task focus. And so your mind starts to go here, there and everywhere. Stress comes in because maybe you're not quite there. And it just can lead to quite a few unhelpful emotions. So when you set more kind of like those process goals, and like that breathing what that does it helps you to go back to being in the here and now and that's something that's that, that's really helpful typically because what that does it, it takes your mind away from all these other external things and, and that task focus is, is just really beneficial um not just in in sports or the maternity journey but you know in a lot of different settings so what chunking does um is rather than you looking at okay this is how I get from A to B. So when you run a marathon, you know, like, oh my goodness, it's still like, you know, I'm not even halfway through. Um, well, don't know, if, you know, you can resonate with that. Not particularly helpful. Um, you then start to bring up all these scenarios like, oh, but I'm so tired. I'm not sure if I can keep that pace. And it just becomes quite an <laughs> unpleasant experience. Um, so what chunking can do, and if you then set particular process related goal for chunking, breaking it down into smaller pieces, is you can set those precise process goals for those different phases. And I think it's particularly helpful when we think about the maternity journey, because there's so many different demands that go with different phases of maternity, uh, you know, with pregnancy, but then also when we think about childbirth, you know, the initial kind of waiting game is much more about being patient and focusing on that. Whereas actually when it, you then have that transition to the pushing stage where you have that kind of overwhelm, then, you know, the process goes much more about how am I going to do this? So making sure that, you know, if, if you are having a vaginal birth, that you can engage those particular muscles. And this is something that you can then practice during your maternity journey during your pregnancy to kind of try to feel out where some of those muscles might be so you've you've rehearsed that it you know what to do and then that process goals becomes much more meaningful and worthy during the actual activity 100 and the one question i want to link in now because with regards to any elite athletes listening to this who at the highest end they've all been i assume but i would think so 
been involved with a sports psychologist with their team and they've probably been learning all the tactics like self-talk, breathing, visualization. Just to emphasize your point, Carla, to the listeners, particularly athletes, that they can apply these techniques into birth. Like, I think this is such an important point because like a lot of athletes, when they retire, they think they're done. What's next of the career? But they sometimes forget what they've already experienced just in a sporting context. So because I want to talk about breathing techniques, like so many athletes apply breathing techniques to reduce their pressure during a big competition. They just need to apply the same process, but it's just in a different environment in this case. Uh, getting a child like could you just emphasize that point because I think this is really important yeah 100 percent. so I think what we uh, kind of what the the term that comes in there is that kind of idea of self-regulated learning isn't it so you, you 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 plan you do you reflect and that's what a lot of you know when we think about sports we do this um but we talked about the silos earlier on often this is linked to your silo so you plan for uh, you know a training or an event um, you then do it you think about okay this is maybe my levels of self-efficacy this is my my goal setting this is you know the inaction um, act doing and this is the reflection okay what went well how can I then use that going forward in the next plan act reflect cycle um, but actually you need to you can you can apply that to the maternity journey okay well what have I already got there what 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 are my stepping stones actually um, although I've never given birth before I know I can deal with pain and discomfort. So, hey, maybe that self-efficacy, that self-belief is maybe a little bit higher than I initially thought. I can tune into my RP. I know what physiological changes could look like. Um, I've got some, uh, you know, people who have been in a similar scenario and, you know, actually this is what their their childbirth um, journey looked like. Actually, I feel quite empowered by speaking with them and learning from them. Oh, actually, when I think about planning and reflecting on my levels of, you know, self-belief, there's actually quite a few things there already okay so what do I then have available to me in terms of goal flexibility oh actually that's something I really struggle for me it's always been this this do or fail goal so actually what happens then to my self-efficacy ah okay I need to do some work here um oh but imagery I'm really good at that and breathing I'm really good at that Okay, so you've done like your planning, then you're trying it out. Maybe you're having on your maternity journeys and opportunities to do some some exercise and starting to think about that. Okay, well, what I really struggle here with is sticking to a lower RPE. Okay, here's some some work I need to do. Can I use self-talk to remind myself of tuning into my RPE and my heart rate? Okay, tick, reflect. I've done that. Oh, great. That then informs your perceived control. That informs your self-efficacy. Um, hey, I've been quite proactive, achieving motivation again. So you kind of go through that cycle over and over again. And so you, I think thinking outside of that silo, but there's a lot of stuff, especially when we think sometimes about the physical nature um, and athletes typically are quite good in tuning into what their body feels like because uh, they often are constantly asked to reflect on, you know, what's your RP level? How are you feeling physically? Um, so it's a about translating that and then tuning into the psychological skills that you've developed along the way and just from a book perspective because I need to say this like, I a guy like this book has opened up my eyes to be more mindful when I have my partner having like giving birth how can this book benefit men reading because for me when I read when I read your book now as a book it'll be like a partner tool that we're both on the same page it goes back to having that plan in place but not as singular meaning like the person giving birth it's like a team activity so it's a smoother experience could, could we just talk on that because I think 
this is a topic that in my humble opinion is not talked enough about and I'm still trying to articulate the right question but I think you you're nodding your head agreeing what I'm saying but how can we introduce this that this is the norm from an educational standpoint yeah, 100%. I think um, I wrote a chapter in the book around the support system, like perceived support. Um, and often, um, you know, when, I, when I've spoken to birth partners, they feel a bit helpless. They don't quite know what to do and how to best support uh, their partner on the journey. And obviously, you know, I give some examples in that chapter on how you can do that. But it's starting up a dialogue. It's like, okay, what are the demands? And what are the types of things that work for you? So when it becomes tough, um, it's about reminding your partner of those. So having, but also accepting that sometimes they just want you to step back and that's okay too. So it's about really um, giving the autonomy to the partner, you know, the, the woman giving birth in terms of communicating with you um, of what would work for her. But you can have those reflection conversations with them. If they say, well, I can't do this. It's like, okay, let's have a think about what you got. What, what What's the skill set that you've already built before? What are the types of things that you feel really confident you can do? So instead of them feeling overwhelmed, it's about tuning into what they, they can do. So I think that's one really important message. Um, another thing that I think is really, really important, I gave an example for a woman I interviewed um, Emma, who sometimes ran marathons with her with her husband. And um, some of these were really tough. And he's seen her in those situations where she really struggled. So it didn't come as a surprise to him. So he knew what to do. And I think this is sometimes where there's, you, you know, you're, you're the, if you're a birth partner and, you know, you really love the person who's giving birth and you see them in pain, discomfort, overwhelm, you feel affected, you're affected too. And so if you've never encountered them, you know, maybe they've always, you know, um, to come to someone else when they're in pain and discomfort or it's been in a sporting setting where you're not necessarily there. It's about allowing yourself to understand that. And, you know, if you are feeling overwhelmed, knowing how you respond, because if that's not really beneficial and it puts more pressure on your, you know, the woman giving birth, that's a bit of a tough situation, isn't it? And I think that the key thing is to be respectful. Um, don't make inappropriate jokes. Um, I think that's one of the worst things that you can do as a, as a support. Like, don't think you know things if you haven't had that conversation. Um, and, and, you know, it's the complex interaction of hormones and emotions and, you know, things things might not be quite the same um so it's about having those conversations the openness to that conversation and you know what you're saying reading the book and you know you're feeling like this is this is something new that's already great because you're opening yourself up to learning about it um so i think that's that that's really key and knowing that birth plan but also knowing where the flexibility comes in so what are the types of things that you can do um, and I think there's another fantastic example actually in the book that I think is one of my favorite um, is that Funmi, who was a personal trainer, did a lot of high intensity interval um, sessions and um, her partner was really tuned into that. And the midwife was aware of that as well. When she she just didn't have any energy left and she was like, I can't do this. She, you know, the partner reminded her of her strength. You know, he's like, but you've done this before. You, you know, you're amazing you know, athlete, when you're thinking about your high intensity interval training sessions, you nailed those. So come on, you can do this. And that 
that really hit a note for her because she was like, yeah, 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 I've done this. So I guess that's another thing um, as a nice example is kind of then bringing in something from maybe elsewhere to just change that mindset. Trigger it to create that trigger. Final point on the overwhelm, because this is really important. I want to highlight on the podcast, like talked about like the partner support, but organizations or bosses who've got, you know, who have women who are in leadership positions where they don't feel overwhelmed or embarrassed that it's going to affect their career and job. Like, how can this book support? Because without a doubt, this book has made me more mindful when I build my team, like to just like, like the respect things vital because, you know, with the hormones or anything, it's all about building a good support structure. But I just love your thoughts that any bosses who are listening to this, how this book can benefit them, you know, just being mindful that it shouldn't affect their career journey just because they're giving birth at this period of time of their life. Yeah, I think I had a really interesting conversation with actually a sports coach the other day, um, Jason Coop on his podcast. And I think actually we, we maybe we should turn it around a bit is actually from uh, when you're giving birth, there's, yes, I'm talking about the skills that we gain from sports, the the, the psychological strategies that we develop from being, you know, uh, participating in sports and exercise. But also there's a lot of things that you then build along that maternity journey and that childbirth and that postpartum period that you can then bring back into the sports or the workplace. So actually you can see it as an asset rather than something that's quite negative. So um, I think that that's really important. So actually what we should be doing with women is to give them space to reflect on their achievements post uh, childbirth as well. And actually, you know, together, what have we actually achieved? What what some of that kind of, you know, when you think about the experience, what have you gained from that? Um, and how can I use that going forward? And I wouldn't recommend doing this straight off after giving birth. Give yourself a bit of time um, before you do any of that kind of sense making and, and, and action points of, you know, where you're going forward from that. But I think, you know, as as employers and as as, you know, sporting organizations, actually embrace that you know there's so many lessons learned along the way both you know from sport to childbirth but also from the maternity journey back to sports and leadership um we probably should embrace that rather than being scared of it 100 percent. and final one reflecting yourself as an author what have you learned like along the book journey like were there any particular parts that you thought you knew but actually through the book journey elevated Errors of your knowledge now from a like a psychology standpoint and the maternity journey yeah definitely I think it's been it's been a labor of love 100 the benefits it could have for the support team not just the the direct like the birth partner but actually when you think about midwives uh the medical team um is really important the link to what you can actually learn from childbirth going back into you know sports or organizations um, but also that understanding the demands of the different aspects of the journey. So it's not one maternity journey, but there's different demands that come in at the different types of the maternity journey. And actually, you know, thinking about which tools would work best for you on those different parts of the journey is something that's that's really important. And um, I think whenever I speak to people, it's about making sure you know, have that analogy of like the, you know, when your car, you got a flat tire, um, you know, you, you need to have practiced how to, 
you know, use the jack before, you know, you're going to use, you know, fix the tire. But that's one one use for that. But there might be other tools that you need for other, you know, if you if you need to fix the car. So there's never one tool for everything. Um, and you need to individualize your approach. And I think that's something, um, of course, I knew. But actually seeing that so particular in the kind of, you know, the different demands uh, of the maternity journey um, has been quite um, fascinating. Yeah, and it's what goes for one key theme throughout this whole podcast top like conversation is having that flexibility along the way, along the journey. Um, wow, what a cool conversation. But Carla, out of interest, reflecting on your career journey, what have you enjoyed the most looking back right now? Oh, 100% of the people uh, I've encountered along the way. Um, I, I'm probably not the only one <laughs> who gave that as an answer uh, on, your, on your podcast. Um, I've connected with so many amazing people. Um, you know, sports psychology is a big part of, you know, my identity. Um, who, uh, you know, how I see myself. Obviously, it changes after giving birth. You've got like a lot more things um, going into your identity. Um, but I'd say like, the places I've been able to to go to, um, the people I've met, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful wonderful environment, and I think those, um, especially the people along the way from so many different countries, uh, so many different walks of life, um, I think they've predominantly made it such an enjoyable journey. You couldn't have said it better. Yes, it is used quite a lot like the people, but you're spot on. I think it's something when when people say that on the podcast, it reinforces my mindset like that's why we do what we do and the people we do it. So um, I think when you're listening, everybody, and you're starting your career journey, focus on the relationships you build in the direction you want to go. That's the key thing, which I totally agree with what Carla just said. Carla, I cannot express how much I've enjoyed this conversation, but I always finish with an inspirational question. Now we've talked bags about your book, your experiences, and also like the toolkit you need uh, to pursue a career as a sports psychologist. But for the listeners to take action straight after this, like what three tips would you give them with regards to pursuing a career in sports psychology? What would they be? I think we covered a lot of those. Um, so I yeah. think feel free to recap. I'll recap. Um, so I think uh, the one thing is yes, it's hard work. Um, it's perhaps not for everyone and that's okay. Um, if it doesn't float your boat, that's okay. But at the same time, if, if you're really passionate about it, work hard, be opportunistic and, um, be okay with rejections. Um, rejections will be there. No, not everyone will say yes. Not everyone would like you and that's okay. Um, you know, find the group of people that, you know, um, are supportive you need to have your your support network with you to to allow yourself to be okay with those rejections and have someone you can kind of offload when you need when it's when it's tough um and then don't stick in your silo yes sports psychology is fantastic but you need to read outside of the sports psychology literature listen to podcasts that are outside of sports psychology uh it might be other sports science areas uh, but it might also be you know, you're listening to, uh, I think, uh, Claudio Hammond has a, a really nice podcast where there's um, a clinical psychologist. So you're actually listening to the conversation. Um, and I think, you know, it's just about exposing or, you know, like allowing yourself different, you know, to listen to different fields, read about different areas, uh, but also just to have fun. Like if you're not having fun along the way, why are you doing it? Yeah. 
Hundred percent. Like I would never imagined in such a cool way. We're talking about a maternity journey with sports psychology. So you're teaching me today, uh, Carla. That is for definite. And I love the point about rejection as well. I think that's really important to highlight. That it is part of it. I've rejected everybody. I'm being honest. Even with special guests on the show, it says, "But you just got to keep going." But Carla, how can people interact with you on social media? And where's like the best places to grab a copy of your awesome book? Um, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Carla Sports Psychology, uh, Twitter, Carla.Mayen. I've got websites, uh, Carla Mayen, so that's M-E-I-J-E-N uh, dot com. And uh, Sequoia Books uh, sells uh, my book. If you order it before the end of July 2023, <laughs> the discount uh, code for 20% off and free shipping in the UK is active. I better do a shout out to Andrew Peart, who was on the podcast show, who is the you know book um, promoters of Sakara Books. Amazing place to grab your copy, everybody. So we'll make sure all those links are on my website with regards to this awesome podcast chat. Carla, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. My goodness, this is why I enjoy podcasting. Number one, with regards to talking on topics that get me out of my comfort zone, but enhance my learning. Like, just to be clear, everybody, yes, you listening to this, this really expanded my knowledge, but most importantly, understanding with regards to the maternity journey and also bring up topics that aren't talked about enough. For me, I hope if you're an athlete listening to this that you've learned from Carla, I highly recommend you getting her book so you can have that planning during your athlete career journey when you want to start raising your own family and having a plan in place. Same with sport professionals who want to thrive in the sports industry and be leaders at top areas of the sports industry, the same thing. Uh, There shouldn't be a barrier when people want to raise a family and with regards to the maternity journey, it should be the same thing. It shouldn't be a barrier. It should just be part of the process of life, literally. But with regards to Carla's sports career journey, it was so fascinating with regards to particularly her grit at the beginning of having that real desire to be a sports psychologist. And it all started, everybody, this is the key thing, with such a determined interest in sports psychology. Just the fascination of the topic and the love of the subject as well. Like she did say, to carve your own path isn't easy, but it is possible. And... This is to me, which is really important if you want to work in sports psychology and really part of your own pathway. I hope learning from Carla, you can model that and then find a niche that really fascinates you to grow in this area. And then finally, the biggest learning point I want to remind even myself is the rejection. Like Carla said it so well, like having the ability to say there's already that no on the table It's just focusing on the yes. And rejection is part of life in a way, but in regards to our sports career journey, it actually creates that resilience. And then finally, with all the psychological tools, I hope, you know, with regards to the goal setting that we've discussed during the podcast and all the different components of the psychological tools that can support you, put it into action. As it's mentioned in this uh, podcast, you know, Carla was utilizing sports psychology tools to help the maternity journey. But these tools are applied, it can be applied in sport and applied to your life and your career development. So with regards to this podcast, make sure you 
really apply that biggest learning lesson from today and put it into action. And then finally, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review relating to your experience listening to this podcast. So now take action, put that learning lesson you've taken from this, put it in action now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Carla said, have the curiosity with passion for the area and knowledge that sparks your interest. And that provides you the clarity in what you want to do and what you want to achieve.